You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Jesus says, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear saints, to get our heads around the comfort that Jesus is giving us in the gospel lesson today, we'll talk about three courtrooms this morning. I personally have been to court once. I I got a speeding ticket when I was in college, and instead of paying the ticket, I thought I would go and see the wheels of justice turn, (laughs) and it was a mistake. (laughs) I was run over by wheels of justice. The courts are particularly important, uh, a particularly important part of our civilization and of living in an ordered world. In, in fact, there's been people who are, are called judges and who have a bench where they make their judgments to be guilty or innocent, to spend life in prison or to be free. There have been judges in, in all nations from the beginning of the world, and this is important. But you consider that a judge or a jury can declare our life to be forfeit, that we can be sentenced even to die. That's an important thing to realize. Now, for us to understand the gospel text, it is important for us first to understand that the throne of God, where Jesus ascended and sits down at the Father's right hand, that that throne is a judgment throne, amongst other things. That God sits on His throne as King... In fact, the king of kings, and he rules the universe, but that he also sits on that throne as judge. And that your life and my life is on the docket. That we will one day stand before God's throne to be judged. And how that judgment goes on that day determines how it is with you in eternal life. A judgment of guilt results in the sentence of condemnation, and that is eternal suffering in hell. A judgment of righteousness, on the other hand, means eternal life in the glory of God. And we know the trouble about this judgment, right? None of us are righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us deserve God's strict judgment and wrath. Not only because our sin is so profound, but also because the one that we have sinned against is so holy and wonderful. But Jesus, in His death, Jesus grabs this, your condemnation, your sentence of wrath, your suffering, and He suffers it in your place. That's the business of the cross. It's what we talk about when we speak of propitiation and expiation and atonement, that Jesus is suffering in your place. And then He ascends to His Father's right hand so that He might present before His throne in this heavenly court the evidence of His blood, the evidence of His suffering. And this serves as evidence for your righteousness. 
that your sins, all of them, all the things that you've done wrong, all the good things that you've failed to do, all the wicked thoughts, words, and deeds, in fact, even your sinful nature, that all of it has been atoned for. So the declaration is spoken from that throne in heaven, forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You are righteous. So that we, dear saints, now don't miss this, we know how it will be when we die or when Jesus returns and we stand before the Lord in judgment. We know how it will be on that day. We know how we will be judged. We know how the Father of heaven and earth will rule in our case. If we were to claim our own righteousness, we would indeed be doomed. But we will stand on the last day before the throne of God not cover, claiming or, or covered in our own righteousness, but wrapped in the white robes of the righteousness of Jesus, clinging only to His blood and to His promise to be declared, to be declared innocent, guiltless, holy, perfect, by God the judge of all. In fact, when we gather here every Sunday morning, we practice the judgment day. <laughs> We come and say, I'm guilty of all sins. And then we hear the declaration, I forgive you all your sins. Now, this is the doctrine of justification, and it is the most wonderful thing in all of the world that we can know. That we will be at home, and we will be comforted, and we will, in fact, be blessed when we appear before the throne of God in heaven. And that's the first courtroom, the heavenly courtroom. And that's the one that really matters. But there is a second courtroom to consider, and that is the courtroom on earth, which I suppose includes all of the official courts that we have to appear in when we speed or whenever, whatever, something like that happens. But I think that the courtroom on earth is, in fact, more than that, that it means any place in the world where judgment is happening Now, we might think, at least if we were to think, how should it be, that since we are received kindly by the heavenly court, then surely we will will receive a kind judgment and we will fare well in the earthly court. If we're loved by God, after all, how can we not be loved by our neighbor? But it turns out that this is not the case. Jesus says, John 16, verses 1 to 3, our gospel reading. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus is telling us, he's telling you and me, that the world has a different judgment for us than he does. The world judges us to be guilty. The world condemns us. And the world is ashamed of us. So that the world 
which condemned Jesus will keep that same judgment of Jesus going by judging the church of Jesus and by condemning the Christians. We call it persecution, and Jesus warns us that this is how it will be with us and his people. Now, the persecution of the church looks different in different times and in different places. Uh, In the past 100 years, we've seen it uh, really throughout all of the world. In the, uh, in the communist countries, especially, the persecution of the church has been a bloody persecution. And in recent years, we see that the violence is brought to Christians, especially by Islamist countries and those who rule there. In the United States, the shape of persecution is different than that. But it's changing, and it, in fact, it's changing fast right around us. And I, I think we should consider that. It wasn't that long ago, a few years ago, that the basic sense of what is right and what is wrong in our culture was shaped chiefly by the preaching of the church. Now, this doesn't mean that people always did what was right, but it does mean that the general sense of morality matched up generally with what the Ten Commandments taught. But this, dear friends, has changed. We can think of a couple of examples. One, there there were always uh, couples throughout history who acted as they were married before they were actually married. But they knew and their parents knew and the culture knew that this was wrong and something shameful. It was a shame if a couple moved in together before the promise of marriage vows. It was generally understood by the culture that couples should not live together before getting married. And that comes from the church's teaching of the Sixth Commandment that we live chaste and decent lives. Especially before we're married, we're called to the office of virginity. But now, this is not only considered old-fashioned, but it is considered by the culture to be dangerous and wrong. That it is considered by the world to be good to live together before being married. So, so what the Scriptures call wrong the world calls right and good. Now, this is especially a Sixth Commandment thing. You you shall not commit adultery. That's the Lord's Word, in which the Lord intends to protect the great gift of marriage. But our culture has been in a sexual revolution probably for 90 or 100 years, which is nothing more or less than a rebellion against the Sixth Commandment. The roots of the rebellion are deep and profound. I mean, we can trace it all the way back to the, to the beginning of the contraceptive culture, to the changing of the laws of divorce, to the experiment of free love in the 60s, which continues now. We, we can even fit in the legalizing of abortion and, and the millions of authorized murders that followed that uh, right in, in here to, so that abortion helped to maintain the illusion that there can be sex without consequence. We all know that the courts this last summer determined that it would be good for two men or for two women to be married. And all the different ways that our sinful imagination invents to break the the Sixth Commandment are continued to be normalized and even considered by the culture to be good. I mean, we even have it in the news in the last couple of weeks that the courts are trying to sort out uh, 
sort out the bathroom situation for men who self-identify as women or women who self-identify as men. And as we watch this, we weep knowing that self-identification leads to self-mutilation, which is a horrible thing even to imagine. But the culture has made the judgment that the T in the LGBT is a good thing. Now, this might be a little bit hard to talk about, but 90 or 100 years into the revolution, which is fighting for erotic freedom, we must understand to be a revolution against God's sixth commandment, which means that it is a revolution against God who gave the sixth commandment, and it is also a revolution against us, the people who believe the sixth commandment and who preach and teach the Six Commandments. Now, there's a number of things that we can say here about the revolution. I think the first thing that we should probably say is simply this, that marriage, as God has designed it, is good. Husband and wife, with the joyful expectation of children, with a life together that doesn't end until death, that this is good, and that this is beautiful. I mean, perhaps today on Mother's Day, we, we consider how the attack on the Sixth Commandment is also an attack on motherhood. From the day that Adam gave to his bride the name Eve, which means the mother of all of the living, the office of motherhood, of mother, has been extolled as the highest and most honorable vocation among Christians. And the work of a mother with her children, with her home, was an honored vocation. Now, it's important that this vocation is honored because the work of having and raising children is very difficult and painful, perhaps the most difficult work that the Lord hands out in this world. And so that this work and this office needs to be protected and cared for so that a culture that is seasoned with the reasonableness of Christian preaching is always honoring and always protecting mothers and marriage and children. But this is no longer our culture. I mean, to think that even now our government is considering the question of requiring our young ladies, young daughters, young mothers to register for the draft. <laughs> the world looks at this and says that it's good. Now, this change, this shift in the culture and in the culture's understanding of what is good and what is evil, means that the church stands judged by the world to be guilty, to be wrong, to be backwards. In fact, the church and the teaching of the Ten Commandments and our teaching of creation and our teaching of sin and our teaching of the end of the world is considered to be an evil immoral and dangerous. So that the surprising words of Jesus in the text are proving themselves to be true. Whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. In some ways, then, we understand the radical shift in our own culture to be a shift back to normal, to how things have been for most Christians for most of history. The time of rest for the church, which we've had in the last few hundred years in the United States, 
when what we knew to be right and wrong was also what the culture knew to be right and wrong, that time of rest is over. Now we have time, we hope and pray that this time of rest and ease did not make us lazy. Because very soon, we face the fact that what we promised in our confirmation vows, that we would rather die than fall away from the truth, that that promise was put there by our fathers in the faith for a reason. And that the world and the devil might want to cash in on that promise. Now, in the midst of all of this, Jesus gives us comfort. This is the last verse of the reading. Jesus says, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You, dear saints, are going to be judged wrongly by the world by the human courts, or by the human court of opinion. You are going to be persecuted. And Jesus says that it is possible, in fact, He promises that some of us will be killed. But remember, Jesus says, I'm telling you about it now, so that when it happens, you will have even more confidence in my word and in my promises. And there's, and there's more comfort for us, too. We considered how it is in the heavenly court, which is great, how we're declared righteous and worthy of eternal life by God the Father. In the earthly court, we're judged guilty and deserving of death. But there is another court that is addressed in our text. And it is the courtroom of your heart, the courtroom of your conscience. Because we, dear saints, are constantly tempted to consider ourselves according to the world's court and the world's judgment. We are tempted constantly to go along with the way of the world, to take the easy road. We're tempted to think that we are, because we learned the catechism, that we are old-fashioned, that our teaching on marriage and family and right and wrong and creation and sin and our teaching on Jesus and His resurrection and His promises, that these are wrong or backwards or or bad. The devil is constantly trying to shape the courtroom of our conscience to be a reflection of the judgment of this world. But listen to what Jesus says. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. We've talked often about this title of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the helper, the comforter, but the best is the advocate. Because the Holy Spirit stands in the courtroom of your conscience and your heart. And and what does He do there? He bears witness to Christ, to the truth of God's Word, to the truth of the Ten Commandments, to the truth of your sin, And most of all, dear saints, to the truth of the gospel, to the promise that your sins are forgiven, that Jesus truly did live and die for you, shed His blood for you, and that His sacrifice is acceptable to the Father in heaven, so that the Holy Spirit brings down to us the verdict of the heavenly court, the prevailing blood of Christ, 
which is our confidence and our life and our peace. So that we, dear saints, take heart. Jesus promises it. They will drag you out of the synagogues. They will judge you to be wrong and evil. The days are coming when the one who kills you will think that they have done a good work for God and their neighbor. This world hates you. But this means that you are in good company. It hated Jesus. This world condemns you, but it condemned Jesus. This world persecuted you, persecutes you, but it crucified Jesus. And Jesus has also judged you. And this is the judgment that matters. This is the judgment that will stand. And his judgment is this. You are his. And he is yours. Your sins are forgiven. Your resurrection is sure. This is our hope and our confidence in these last days. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.